friends, it's good to have you with us today as we jump into another podcast and a word of encouragement for disciple-making movements. It is uh, such a blessing to have with us Ayla Tazi from Africa. Many of us know Ayla through the Engage Africa uh, video series of training in DMM. In fact, uh, we have listened to it so many times that uh, we feel like we know Ayla and uh, his, his brothers as they have pioneered uh, the stories that were captured in the book Miraculous Movements and and others. Um, so, Ayla, what a blessing to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's my joy to, to join you on this podcast uh, this morning. It's morning in Kenya, so, uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Ayla, uh, thank you. Uh, I understand that it's uh, 6 a.m. there in the morning where you are, and um, so... Thank you once again for joining us. Ayla, give us a context. Where are we talking to you? Where are you as we talk? So I'm uh, way up in the north, close to Ethiopian border. Uh, Personally, I live in Nairobi, but um, I'm up here in Marsabit, specifically the name of the town is Marsabit. And Marsabit is about two hours uh, south of the Ethiopian border. Uh, Moyale. Mm. So, I, so I arrived here uh, a day ago to meet our team. This is the town where I come from originally, and we have a training center here. So I'm right now in this town uh, for the next one week to meet the DMM teams. Ayla, can you just um, give us a little bit of your history and where you've come from and how you, where you grew up and what's life like been like for you as we get to know you a little bit? Well, um, yeah, my name is Ayla and then I'm from this town, Marsabit. I was uh, born and raised up in this northern part of Kenya. Uh, the northern part of Kenya uh, is the part that borders uh, the south of Ethiopia and then on the east we have Somalia. And um, it's the the remote part of Kenya, uh, isolated for so many years because of lack of accessibility to the north. And uh, I grew up among the I grew up as a Muslim within the Muslim family and community. And uh, majority of the people in my county, uh, Marsabit is one of the forty seven counties of Kenya, and uh, it's the largest county in Kenya in terms of landmass. Uh, because it stretches over two-day drive through this county. And uh, basically, it is a, it's a desert part of Kenya. And so I grew up among the people here, and uh, my early lives was uh, grew up as a Muslim. And then I met uh, Lord Jesus Christ right on the border, the town I'm traveling to today to train the leaders over the weekend, and it's in Moyale. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I came to the law through a high school teacher. I took, um, I went through a very severe persecution uh, because of my new faith. And, uh, but the Lord called me uh, to the same people, to the same region, uh, through a vision that he showed me of a cabbage growing in the desert, uh, which for me was like a burning bush experience that Moses had. Uh, mine wasn't a burning bush, but mine was being taken to the middle of the desert and being asked the question if cabbage can grow uh, in that place. And so God used the words in Isaiah forty-three eighteen that, uh, you know, forget the former things, behold, I will do new things. 
the rivers will flow in the desert. So with a belief of not knowing what the cabbage was, and uh, God opened my eyes to find that in the deserts of northern Kenya lived the 14 and rich people groups of the 26 in Kenya. So I started my ministry trusting God that cabbages will grow, and today I see the cabbages, which are the unrich people groups that have grown in the desert. So I pursue for the last over 25 years the visions of God growing the cabbages in the deserts of northern Kenya, which is reaching the unrich people groups and making disciples, planting churches, and developing leaders. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. Ella, um, tell us your story from from uh, uh, becoming a believer, God speaking to you so powerfully. And uh, I've uh, uh, heard the story before of can cabbages grow in the desert uh, to then going into um, the DMM process. Uh, how, did you, how did you go from there to there? What were some of the key um, things that you had to learn and lessons or processes that you had to go through to start to really focus on making disciples and multiplication? Well, earlier I started, um, uh, since early 90s, started, planted the first church among the rich people groups. Uh, and basically it was among the uh, Muslim community. So that was very slow with a lot of uh, very difficult things and persecutions and all sorts of things. But then I started uh, learning a little bit of hearing what God was doing in other parts of the world. My initial engagement was also with what George Patterson, uh, with why one was writing church planting coaches, those kind of ideas. Um, I had uh, had an opportunity to learn at the frontier school of uh, frontier school with why one. But uh, since my specific calling was. Two unrich people groups. So that was basically how, where my focus was. And so early 2000, I started, uh, a bit frustrated, uh, working in, in those areas. Uh, the churches or the kind of church that we want to see is not exactly what we see in the urban areas because these are nomadic peoples. These are Islamic groups. So it shouldn't be or it doesn't have to be. So we started thinking of what kind of model of the churches, our model of how would believers look like in Islamic context. So I started uh, uh, going through that kind of uh, thinking. And then I, I read uh, this uh, church planting movement by David Garrison, um, uh, I think around 2000 there. And, uh, of course, I started pursuing that, uh, uh, different other reading, and I started getting interested in movement. Then we had an engagement with uh, David Watson around 2005, which uh, we had a very difficult time at the beginning because by the time I got to 2005, I had already practiced church planting in the context of northern Kenya. I'd seen successes I'd written about it in my graduate school and different things. So I felt I was a little bit of an expert in my own field within the rich people groups of seeing churches in places where it has never been before. But when I started hearing the movement among the Bujupuri people in North India and other places, I said, well, it could happen there, but it cannot happen. Um, it can't happen, uh, you know, in the places like Northern Kenya. So, but I remember from one of my trips, uh, 
I was sitting at the back of the plane and uh, I, I challenged God. If movement is happening in other places, I believe if you are doing it, uh, you can do it among my people. And uh, I had God telling me that get yourself out of the way if you want me to do it. So I realized my experience and all those things were standing on the west. And I lived in Ethiopia those days, and so I had to move out of the way because of my all kinds of things that were standing on the way for me. So 2006, we started implementing in Ethiopia. God brought about the movement of all those things that you read in Miraculous Movement. I was part of the writing of the book, and over 10 <laughs> Six, seven stories that you read in Miraculous Movement are part of all those movements that we launched. So it's a long story, but that's kind of uh, some of the things that um, I personally started learning, and we learned a lot. So our journey with David Watson, and uh, we've been part of the same thing for many, many years. We've learned together, we've trained together, we've seen what God can, can uh, you know, what what God can do. Uh, with us being intentional and obedience to what the scriptures was calling us to. So that's, that's kind of my, yeah, without being very specific, that's kind of a little bit of my journey into a movement from traditional church, church planting into movement of disciples, churches, and growing of leaders. Hmm, hmm. Fast forward to today, Ayla, and just to give us some now context of what you're seeing uh, as a result of um, 15 years later, really, um, from from that encounter. Well, I mean, 20 years if you go right back, or, or even longer. But uh, what 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 do you see around you in in the mission field that God has called you to? What what's the what is God doing and and um, yeah, just get, paint us a picture of of the fruit that you're seeing and what God is doing. So God has amazed us in these years and we're still learning. We've learned a lot. We're still learning. So it hasn't stopped learning and I don't think we, we will stop learning this uh, because movement is God's movement. Let me begin by saying this. Uh, people would ask me of so many things that they've seen. First of all, uh, my initial calling was towards the 14 and rich people groups in northern Kenya, uh, starting from where I'm seated here this morning. All the people group that we prayed for those days are engaged today. None of them are in the category of unengaged. And they have all indigenous teams and they have all people that are making disciples every day. Some are at the movement level, some are midway, some are in the tipping areas. And, and so we've seen that. To me, this is just amazing because this is the place where I said it happened in other places. It cannot happen here. And then broadly, broadly looking at 2008, I came back from Ethiopia um, to launch movement in East Africa because in Ethiopia we had already seen five generations and so after a couple of years I came back with my family and started launching in East Africa and uh, to, to, to me uh, what God has done is just amazing East Africa or the greatest Africa including part of Horn of Africa which is Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia and then 
the rest of East Africa countries, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and then you go all the way down to Malawi. Uh, these are areas that I have really focused. And this area has close to 300 unrich people groups. We started focusing on unrich people groups. But the movement isn't only among the unrich people groups. It is even unrich within the urban setting or even people living in the urban cities. So out of the 300 people that we had initially focused on, today we have 147 engagements. And out of those 47 engagements, which a number of those engagements are at a different stage, we have seen 39 movements. And when I talk of movement, I'm talking of at least 100 churches and uh, four generations. Uh, that's how, for, for us, we, we, we describe a movement with the generation and the number. And so, so we've seen about 39. Of us, of last year, we've seen 39 uh, movements. Uh, we have 147 engagements. And, um, and out of that, of course, a number of them are getting to movement. Actually, some got into movement this month. Some are on the way as the teams are working and the teams are doing naturally what they have to do. So this is uh, what I've seen. And uh, right now, um, uh, I think we are in the, in the north of 18 countries that I'm involving, including Indian Ocean Islands, uh, where the, uh, you know, Islam started. Uh, majority of the places where we see this happen is within the Islamic communities, within the animists, but now we also see within the urban setting, like uh, um, uh, within the youth, within the schools. So those are the things that we've been observing as we continue to coach teams, train partners and networks to, to start making disciples and multiply them in different uh, contexts. So this is uh, not only specifically to our area. We... We launched a um, few years ago a uh, global DMM catalyst camp that brings together practitioners from many parts of the world. This, this started happening as I started training at our training, at our equipping center in Nairobi. And every uh, second week of June, we, we have catalysts come from many parts of the world. We just finished one in June 17 to 14 to 17 which brought together practitioners from 25 countries uh, around the world where practitioners would come learn from each other. It's not like a conference. We call it a camp because we want people to learn, to share, to do case studies and those kind of things. So those are the things that I have observed, but I'm just sharing this, trying to squeeze them into, into this time because it, there's so much that is happening. So exciting, so wonderful, amazing. Um, Ella, just going back then um, to that period from 2000 to 2007 where you're going through paradigm shifts and, and what are what are some of the core things that you felt like you had to learn, shift, adjust in, in seeing movement take place um, from the traditional models that you had learnt to then movement models. If you are speaking to someone at the beginning of the journey or someone 
back to even back to yourself and saying these are the core things that needed to shift in my practice in my understanding in my thinking i wonder if you could identify some of them for us because many people listening to the podcast probably are in that stage there and what are some of the really really foundation stones the important things lessons that we have to learn uh with movement okay so i will share maybe two three things uh personally my struggles because uh, uh it's not like when i first started learning and hearing about movement in other places it's not like movement cannot happen i just had the struggles to believe that it can happen so the first Hmm. The first problem I had was my belief that it can happen somewhere else, that it cannot happen in my context, knowing my context. So when God told me to get out of the way, I realized my own belief had a, had a problem, to believe things that God can do somewhere else, but it, it can't happen with me. I looked at my context, I looked at my situations and the people group, I'm a Muslim background. I come from a Muslim community. These are places where missionaries tried and nothing happened. So why would somebody tell me that, that there is this new idea that can happen? You know, I started believing uh, all the environment was telling me. So the first problem was uh, personally myself to believe that God can do it. The second thing uh, for me is the, the mind shift that I had to go through. Uh, I'd gone through so many learning after coming to the Lord and going to seminaries and things. I had built an understanding of how things should be described, how the church should be. All my belief and my understanding of the church, my descriptions of different things, what I'm hearing is, is so much against some of those things is so different, you know. By the time I was um, I was um, um, learning this, I had already written about church planting at my even graduate school. So this kind of um, you know all that I'm hearing is is going against all that I've learned, and I have practiced over years. So it was very difficult for me to to accept some some simple descriptions of things. And, uh, and and so the mind shift, the mind I had that things should be this way. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what I had experienced for these years. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm supposed to see things differently. This took time uh, to, to move from what I had experienced to, to, to learn new things. And I think it is a process of unlearning things, and unlearning things is a very difficult thing. And so I had to unlearn what I had learned for so many years, and I felt that that process of unlearning, you know, we learn things, even if they are not maybe right, they are not biblical, we've learned so many things from just seeing them or being doing them. So that process of unlearning was very difficult. But um, that mind shift for me was really unlearning things, uh, redescriptions of the church, redescriptions of even re-understanding, kind of understanding Great Commission in a new way. And so for me, those are some of the, the things that I had gone through. 
and um, and 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 also understanding the priesthood of all believers was one of the main shifts in my, in my life. That God had called all the disciples to make disciples and ordinary people to do things that ordinary people to obey God and do what God was telling them. It doesn't have to be a clergy or some special professional people to be doing those things that uh, Jesus was asking the disciples to do. So the understanding of the ordinary people. Uh, for me, I also felt uh, that the gospel was domesticated in the four walls of the church. And uh, everything, the focus was inside the building, inside what we were doing uh, probably between on a Sunday morning sometimes between 10 and 1 in my context uh, that we prepare the whole week for what we do and all that we do is so much about us and what we want to become than the expansion and growth of the kingdom of God as the commands of Jesus in in the Great Commission text of Matthew 28. So for me, those are the challenges and the changes that I had to go through and it took some time uh, for me to to unlearn some of those things. Yeah, yeah, incredibly relevant for people in the West as we um, see movements exploding in India, China, Africa, and uh, we we say the same thing. That's good for there, but it can't happen here. And we have uh, we have very similar blockages of uh, no faith. You know, can can actually God do this in in the West, in places like Australia and Western Europe? Uh, models of church, which is um, so firmly entrenched in our culture and our thinking, even amongst the non-believers, of what is church and and the movement paradigm and and the uh, empowerment of every believer um, is is um, is so crucial because uh, we have uh, have ministry locked up. Uh, into the uh, into the um, clergy and into the church leaders that the average disciple spends their week just sitting in church. And then the idea of just uh, focusing on that holy hour on the Sunday morning rather than discipleship being every day, every week, and for everyone. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's just fantastic, Ayla. And now, now, so when you're training somebody and you're helping them go through some of these shifts, um, how do you do that? How do you, how do you train in faith and in, in church formation and empowerment of every believer? What are some of the key trainings that you do to help people go through that process? Yeah, so uh, I, I always like to start from Old Testament just to to, to show people that God, what God intended at the at the time of creation or from creation. Uh, when 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 we see why did God created human and what was his 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 intention, and uh, um, you know Genesis one is so clear about that. Uh, you look at verse, uh, you know, just 27 there, uh, God created man to multiply, to subdue, you know, all those ideas of multiplication that God intended man to be that, to be doing that, to, 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 to overrule. But you know that we lost that one in Genesis 3, and we lost it because of disobedience. 
But God did not stop there in Genesis 3.15. He gave the promise for the first time, see the prototype of Christ, when he did talk about the seed of the woman. And that thread of God's plan of redemption runs through the scriptures, uh, whether it is through the all Old Testament that kind of talk to that. But when we come to really uh, Habakkuk, I, I looked at the book of Habakkuk, uh, you know, chapter one as my launch pad, seeing the visions of God. And uh, verse five says, God is, I'm going to do something new in your time. And, and I, and, and I also, God is always doing, wanting to do something new and he wants to do it our time. And so Habakkuk 2.14 is key verse for me that the knowledge of God to cover the whole world as the water covers the sea. I'm just paraphrasing that. And so the idea of movement is the idea of God's knowledge, you know, to cover the whole world as the water covers the sea. People to know God, people to fall in love with God, uh, people to be restored in relationship. But it's not only being that we, he wants us to do that. And so in our DMM training, uh, getting the vision is so clear. Why do we do this? Because if we don't answer the question of why, then we will not be able to do it. And then we go to the Gospels where we look at understanding the Great Commission. We stand by the why. Why? What is... Why did Jesus come? What did he ask us to do? But going back to uh, Matthew 4 is so critical. I looked at Jesus at the start of his ministries, of the praying, time of fasting. The scripture in, 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 in Matthew 4, 18 says, while he was walking on the sea, on the shore of the sea, he saw the two brothers fishing and he invited them into a relationship. Come and follow me. And uh, we see that even the two sons of Zebedee, verse 18 to 22, that says, both times immediately they left their boat and they followed him. The sons of Zebedee, the scripture says, even they left behind their dad and they followed Jesus that they've heard about. But the thing there is Jesus did not call them first to do anything. He said, come and follow me. And I think the invitation of two parts, I see that there are two things there. One is come and follow me, which is come and come and learn from me. Uh, come and come and see what it is. And then he says, and I will make you fishers of men. Between verse 18 and 22, I divide into two and I said, come and follow me, be a disciple. And I will make you fishers of men. Is You'll go and make others to be my disciples. I think a believer's life is, has two parts for me. Uh, one is come and follow me. Every day we are invited by Jesus to follow him, to learn from him, to be with him. And I think the life of disciples were that. They left everything and started following. And then, and then he said, and I will make you fishers of men. I think we learn fishing people from Jesus himself. He says, come and learn from me. So for me, that part, Matthew 4, is so critical that he did not invite us to become a Christ, Christians. I'm talking in this being Christian, being religious, being just going to church. And um, he says, come into a relationship with me. Come and follow me. Come and learn from me. Come and listen to me. Because everything starts with a relationship, relationship of following him. 
When we follow him, then he will teach us what to be doing and how to do them. We can't make disciples if we are not disciples. We can't help others to follow Jesus if we are not following Jesus. That's where the basic thing is. And now today we have so many people who are Christians and they don't even have relationship with Jesus. They're just religiously Christians. I don't think Jesus came to start any religion. Even I'm not... I don't read any place in the scriptures where he said, I came to start Christianity. I came to start a religion. And so coming from a Muslim family or background, if people would ask me if I had changed my religion, and said I wasn't interested in changing religion, even to the guy who witnessed to me about Jesus, he asked me that your sins will be forgiven or can be forgiven. He did not tell me that to change my religion because what's the need of changing religion? I thought Islam as a religion was a good religion. And so I do not even see today the comparison of Christianity and, and Islam as a religion. Christianity is not a religion to me. It's a way of life. Jesus came to introduce a way of life, a way of salvation. It's a way of salvation. But today, like any other religions of the world, Christianity, so it's just uh, people are doing all in forms and traditional things. But Jesus invited his disciples into a relationship, and that's what we should be doing. And so as we do go through the training, we looked at that. How did Jesus start it? What did he start it with? What was the instruction that he gave to his disciples? We move from Matthew 4 as, as we proceed, and we go to, to, to Matthew 24, 14. We see him talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And then in Matthew 28, he says, now go. But in between, we see even that, and before we go, we get to Matthew 24, we see in Matthew 9, we see in Matthew 10, all the instructions that he gave to his disciples on what to do when they go. He did not just tell them go, he told them what exactly to be doing. And, and so these are the uh, in disciple making. We wanted to do Jesus' way of making disciples. And that's why I keep on arguing today with many people. I said, Jesus did not come to start a religion. All his message was the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is coming. But at the coming of Jesus, Jesus' message is the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is the rule of God in the hearts of people. And by, by people accepting Jesus and learning to follow Jesus and be a disciple, it is the kingdom of God invading human hearts and people start obeying and learning and following uh, you know, God through the scriptures that they're learning. So for me, this forms part of the training. And obviously, the key part of the training for me is how can you become an obedient disciple? A disciple is a learner, but not many people learn to obey. They just learn to know. They learn to practice tradition. And, 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 and that's why we have so many Christians today that they are not obedient. They are not disciples. Yes, they are Christians. It's a religion. But now we are going beyond that and we see obedience disciples of Jesus. Whether you get yourself a title of a Christian or not, if you are not obedient, you are not a disciple. Because a sign of a disciple is obedience. If you obey my command, you'll be my disciple. You are my disciple. And so um, 
through this training of these little things, we help people to understand what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make a disciple, and what are the things that disciples does, and disciples, you know, personally living your own life by following Jesus, but helping others as well to follow Jesus. And these disciples come together and becomes a church. A church emerges when the disciples come together. Again, the key thing for me is obey the commands of Jesus. And that's where the discovery, uh, Bible study or the discovery groups are because you come together to discover, to learn, to share, obey, and, and hold each other accountable and continue. As you continue, the kingdom of God grows. So those are some of the few things that uh, we learn. We have a series of different uh, things that we learn at different stages of training people. But those are basically obedient, discovery, uh, as well as being able to understand who is a believer, what is a church, and uh, develop leaders out of these new believers who are gathering as a church. That's fantastic. I, To the listener, I really hope that you're enjoying this as we're discussing with Ayla Tazi from Africa, uh, disciple-making movements and the idea of, uh, as Ayla has been leading us so brilliantly into what is a disciple and concepts of multiplication right from the beginning, from Genesis right through, and uh, the, the core of what it is to follow Jesus Jesus didn't start a religion. He didn't come to establish what we know as Christianity with cathedrals and robes and and all the the trappings, but he came to establish the beachhead of the kingdom of God, which is groups of disciples obeying the commands of Jesus and uh, living that out. Thank you, Ayla. As we conclude this first podcast, Ayla, um, I wonder if you would just... um, Bring a word of encouragement uh, to the listener who's who's listening and also trying to live this out in their own context, in their own life, as you would uh, conclude our first podcast. Okay, so uh, from what this is from what I've learned, and so I will share from this and to encourage. If you've attempted and failed, I say you you have not failed as long as you're still attempting and believing God. For, for what you're learning. Part of my journey is failing. And I did fail because I was attempting. And so failure was just part of learning for me. I wanted to be obedient, but it was not always perfect. And I don't think it's even today perfect. But I'm intentional and I want to be obedient For any one of us who wants to make disciples, doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. Everything will work out well for us, but we have to be intentional and trust God for what he's telling us to do. And that's obedience. So in in one word, I call it simple faith and simple obedience. If God is telling you to do something, he wants us to believe, and the next thing is to do it. And that's obedience. And some of the things that faith calls us, is it doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes we've made things so complex. And I looked at Jesus' conversation with people uh, in the scriptures, and sometimes he would say, oh, go and take, you know, something and do this and this. 
mostly uh, you you will leave it to the blind man he says you're not taking this the the dirt and putting on his eyes and 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 simply then the person sees why i call it simple faith faith as small as mustard seed it's a belief that this can happen so i want i i want to encourage anyone that at the beginning of my struggle when god told me get out of the way and i said god i don't understand all this but i'm going to do it so let me tell you this I, I did some of the things before I even believed them because I was struggling. And so I want to encourage, but with that simple faith, and I said, I will obey. And when I obeyed and I did, God brought about amazing results. And uh, sometimes I would go back and confess to God, and I said, God, I did it even without believing it. So I've learned from that. So I want to encourage uh, whoever is listening to this podcast that just believe God and just obey. Even if it is not clear, God himself is going to do it. That is my encouragement. Don't fear to fail. Attempt it always. Be intentional. Failure is just part of learning. You can't start riding a bicycle the first day you get on, on a bicycle. You have to keep on keeping on until... When you start riding, you don't even think about pedaling. You just know that it's automatic because you, 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 you've learned it and it is part of your life. Our lifestyle needs to change in some way because we are not used to doing things, doing things this way. And so it's a bit of a struggle. So that's why we need to keep on practicing, keep on attempting, keep on trusting God. And then eventually we'll, we'll start learning and get doing it as a lifestyle. That's my encouragement.